Oh, hello. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Did you guys have a good weekend? I have had a great time uh, just getting to hang out with you guys, getting to watch you go down a hill in a rickety box sled and play broom hockey and uh, getting to just spend time opening God's word with you this weekend. It's been a, an absolute blast. So thanks for having me, guys. Um, this weekend, we've kind of looked at this, this book of Ecclesiastes, right? We started by looking at those problems of all of mankind, right? The, the problem of life under the sun, that everything is temporary, that everything is, is vanity, it's all vapor, it doesn't last forever. And that we, we desperately seek meaning, we seek it in everything, we seek it in places where we were never meant to find it. And then last night we, we talked about the solution to those problems, that, that in the gospel, Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again so that we might have something permanent, not temporary, not vanity, but that we might have life abundant, life eternal, that we might find real, true meaning and purpose in him. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to kind of close the book on Ecclesiastes. You see, after, after 12 chapters of contemplating and, and thinking on and chewing on what does life under the sun mean? What's its purpose? What's its end? What's its goal? Why do we live it? Solomon arrives at a conclusion at the end of chapter 12. After 12 chapters of the wisest man in history contemplating the meaning of life, the purpose of existence here under the sun. In chapter 12, he gives a clear and concise answer. And this is what he says in 12, 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this weekend. We thank you for what you've taught us. So we've opened your word together as these students and counselors have been in conversation, been in prayer together. So we've had a ton of fun doing all kinds of crazy things. God, I, I pray that this morning that you would help us to just focus on what this life under the sun is supposed to be. How we are to live during our time here on the earth. In light of the truths of the gospel, God, I pray that we would live lives of meaning and purpose in the here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. So after all of that contemplation, all of that musing, all of that thinking and writing and talking through existence under the sun, Solomon's conclusion is so, so simple. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Our whole job 
our whole purpose here on this earth, our whole purpose here in this life boils down to two very simple things. Fear God and keep his commandments. To fear God and keep his commandments, that is our whole duty. So if you're asking the question, what is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Everything seems meaningless. It seems purposeless. Everything is temporary. Where can I find lasting, eternal, real, true meaning and purpose in this life? It's spelled out for you there in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's not a secret. It is very, very clear. Your purpose, your meaning, the goal of your life, the direction of your life, the reason you were created is to fear God and to keep his commandments. So what does that actually mean? Does, does that mean that every one of you in here is called to, to be a pastor? Does it mean that you all need to go into ministry? Does it mean that you need to be um, a, a pastor or a missionary? Does it mean that that's the only way to fear God and keep his commandments? Does it mean that if you decide, hey, I wanna, I wanna be a teacher when I grow up, or, or I wanna, um, go into business, or I, I want to be a, a, a stay-at-home uh, mom or dad or, or, or whatever it is, does that mean that that's not living out your purpose? No. It means that no matter what you do with your life, no matter what you do with your life, no matter what your your, your future career looks like, no matter where you go to college or if you go to college, no matter um, if you continue playing sports or if you continue doing the things that you're interested in now or not, no matter what you do in the future and no matter what you do today, it means that no matter what you do, your purpose is to bring God glory by fearing him and by keeping his commandments so that you can say, man, I love football. I love playing football, I love being on the team, I love what I get to do in that space, but that's not my purpose. My purpose is not to get some ball down the field, my purpose is to fear God and to keep his commandments. So you can say, man, I, I, I love spending time with, with, with my friends. I love hanging out. I love in, in being in these conversations. But I don't define myself by my friend group. I don't find meaning in my life from the, the relationships that I have with other people. My, my purpose and my meaning is founded in fearing God and keeping his commandments in my relationship to him, in the vertical, not in the horizontal. See, no matter what you do, no matter what you do as a hobby, no matter what you do as a job, no matter what all of those like, things are that you fill your life up with, your purpose is the same. It's the same for every single person in here. 
Our purpose is to fear God and to keep his commandments. So let's talk a little more about what that means. What those things look like. Those those two big purposes for every one of us. To fear God, number one, and number two, to keep his commandments. Let's start by talking about what it means to fear God. And we we talked about this briefly on Friday night. I, I don't know if you remember that, but But I said that fear of God, when the Bible tells us that we should fear the Lord, it's not like the scary movie kind of fear, right? It's not like when when you're walking through a haunted house and you have like the hair standing up on the back of your neck and you're just tense like this because you're waiting for someone to jump out and scare you. How many of you guys like like scary movies and like, haunted house things and things like that. Um, how many of you guys like me and you're, are like me and you're like giant babies and you can't do it? Yeah, uh, my wife likes scary movies. I will have nightmares if I watch a scary movie trailer. So I can't watch YouTube in October because the ads, I'm like, it's like counting down. I'm like, Larry, let me skip before the jump scare happens. Um, but fear of God is not like that. It, it, fear of God is not is not this kind of fear of the boogeyman. It's not this, this fear of something that's gonna come along and hurt us. To say that we fear God doesn't mean that we're always just sitting there and cowering, afraid that God is gonna reach down from heaven and smite us, okay? That's not what fear of God is. And sometimes I've heard fear of God described as like standing at the edge of a waterfall. You're at the edge of a waterfall and you have a sense of the power of the waterfall. Have any of you guys ever been to, to like Niagara Falls or, or some, some really big waterfalls? When you're there, you have a sense of the overwhelming power of that thing, don't you? There's a sense that like, it's so much bigger than me, so much more powerful than me. You know, I'm a pretty good swimmer, but I'm not about to get in that water, right? Because I, I realize that It has power far beyond what I could ever match. And and, and in a sense, that's what we're talking about with fear of God. it's It's an awe and an appreciation of his overwhelming power, of how big and mighty and holy and majestic he is. And it's more like the fear of the waterfall in terms of being an appreciation of his power than it is like the fear of the boogeyman. But you know what? That fear of the waterfall, that doesn't get the whole picture of what the fear of God is. Because a waterfall is powerful, but it's impersonal. A waterfall is mighty, but it doesn't care for you. And when we talk about fear of the Lord, we're not just talking about an acknowledgement and an awe and a reverence and an amazement at God's power. We're also talking about an acknowledgement, an awe and an amazement at God's mercy, at his love, at his grace. Let me read to you guys out of Psalm 130. It says this, if you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities. God, if you kept record of my sin, oh Lord, how could I stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Do you hear that? He says, 
If you kept record of my sin, if you marked my iniquities, how could I stand? I couldn't. If you kept a record of all the things I did wrong, you held that against me, I would fall because of your awesome, powerful holiness. But with you, O Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. See, God forgives us, and that causes us to fear him. This fear is not just an awe and an appreciation of his might and his power. It's also an awe, an amazement, an appreciation, a love of his love, and of his grace, and of his mercy. And as the psalmist continues on here, you begin to see how much he longs for and loves God as he says this, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. He's not just saying that fear of God is this kind of standing back and going, wow, look how big and amazing and glorious God is. It is that, but it's more. It's also saying, wow, look how great and big and amazing God's mercy and love and forgiveness of me is. And I long for him and I desire to be with him. I wait for him. I want nothing more than to be close with him. See, that's what fear of the Lord is. Fear of the Lord is knowing and loving and appreciating God's goodness as well as his greatness. When I say God's goodness and his greatness, I want you to, I want you to know what I mean by that. See, when we say God, that God is great, we don't just mean that he's really, really extra super good. When we say God is great, we're referring to the fact that God is big, that he's powerful, that he is infinite, that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he is bigger and more beautiful and more majestic and more powerful than you could ever possibly comprehend. And when we say that God is good, we mean that he's loving, that he's gracious, that he's merciful, that while he is great and big and holy and mighty and awesome, he's also a personal and loving and caring and forgiving God. While he's the creator of heaven and earth, the king over the universe, he's also the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who knows you, who calls you by name, who numbers the very hairs on your head, who lived for you, who died for you, and who rose again for you. That's God's greatness and his goodness. And when Solomon here says, that one of our purposes in this life is to fear God. What he's saying is that your purpose in this life is to know and appreciate and love God in his greatness and in his goodness, in his bigness and in his intimateness. 
in his, in his power and his majesty and in his love and his mercy. It's to know and understand and love all attributes of who God is. That's our first task, to fear God, to know him, to love him, to see him truly for who he is. And the first task, to fear God, it leads right into the second, to obey his commandments. Because if we fear him, if we know him rightly, if we understand and appreciate and love him for who he is, if we see God for who he is, then obedience to his commandments will be the natural product of that. It will be the natural result. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and this is what it says. He's talking about a, a, a veil, a, a, a blindfold that, that keeps us from knowing God rightly. But then he says this, in verse 16, he says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And listen to this, this is the result of us turning to God, the veil being removed, so that we can see God for who he is, and begin to know and love and appreciate and fear him rightly. He says this, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. What's he saying? He's saying that as that veil is removed and we see God for who he is, as our understanding of the goodness and greatness of God. That is to say, as our understanding of how good God is and how great God is grows and grows and grows, as we have a bigger and higher and deeper view of his might and his holiness and his glory and his love and his mercy, as our understanding and appreciation of God comes closer to the reality of who God is, we are transformed into the same image. What's that image that we're being transformed into? It's the image of Christ. As we come to understand and appreciate who God is more and more as our idea of God becomes more like the reality of God, then we are transformed from one degree of glory to another to be made more and more and more like Jesus in our lives, in our character, in our loves, in our actions. The two duties of man, the two jobs of every man, woman, and child in this world to fear God and to keep his commandments. And as we grow in the right and healthy and holy fear of God, the natural result of that is that we will keep the commandments of God more and more in our lives. Jesus puts this even more simply in John chapter 14 when he says this, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. 
There are no ifs, ands, or buts there. Jesus says very clearly, if you love me, then you will obey my commandments. Not if you love me, then you'll obey the commandments that I give that you like. Not if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments if they kind of fit with the worldview that you already have in your mind. No, he says very simply, if you love me, then you will obey my commandments. If you love, you fear, you understand, you know, you appreciate God for who he is, then you will obey his commandments. And so as we grow in knowledge and love and fear, we also grow in Christ-likeness. Sometimes the word that we use in church to talk about this is sanctification. Sanctification, it is being made more and more like Jesus. But here's the thing. Sanctification is not your work. It's not my work. Just like we are saved from the penalty of our sin by Christ, We're also saved from the presence of our sin by Christ. It is his work in us that sanctifies us and makes us more and more and more like God. More and more and more like Christ in our actions, in our character. It's a process that begins when we turn towards Christ, when the veil is lifted, when we begin to see him for who he is and grow in the fear and the love of him We begin to grow in obedience to him. And it is God's work by his Holy Spirit in us, but that work itself is not automatic. It's something that is God's work in us, but we participate in God's work. Here's a way that scripture often talks about this process of being made more like Jesus. It often uses this metaphor of fruit. Right, and he uses this this idea of growing fruits. You think of like the fruit of the spirit, right? That Christ likeness is fruit. This this obedience to God's word, obeying His commandments, this is fruit. And a tree doesn't grow fruit by just going, you know what? I'm going to try really hard and grow some fruit today. It grows fruit because of what it is. It grows fruit because it's been. It it, it is a fruit tree. You will grow fruit in your life, the fruit of obedience, the fruit of Christ's likeness, because you have been changed on the inside by the Spirit of God as you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. But a fruit tree sometimes doesn't grow the biggest and greatest fruit, right? Right? because a fruit tree needs to be cultivated. Where, where, where I live, um, or a ton, I live in the middle of agricultural California, all right? So everyone who goes to my church is in agriculture. They're, they're farmers. And so I'm surrounded by farmers all the time. We get really, really good fruit in the summertime. It's awesome. You guys have never tasted a peach. You think you have, you haven't. Anyway, um, and so fruit trees don't just automatically grow the greatest, ripest, freshest, juiciest fruit. They need to be cultivated. They need good soil and they need good water. And so in this this analogy, this metaphor, if we're gonna grow this fruit of obedience, we need good soil. What's the soil? The soil is the fear of God. 
It is, it is knowing God rightly, understanding him. That's the fear of God in which we as a fruit tree are planted. But we also need to be watered. We need to be watered in order to grow that fruit of obedience. We can't be obedient just by going, I'm gonna try really hard to obey. No, we need to be watered. The soil is not all that the fruit tree needs. And so in scripture, God has set up what we might understand as the water for the tree of our life. And these things we call the means of grace. What are the means of grace? Very simply, the means of grace are the ways that God has set up for us to come to fear him more and to obey him more. To grow in the knowledge and the love and the obedience to him. I'm gonna give you just three means of grace today. Just three, there's certainly more in scripture, but here are the three big ones. The first is the word of God. The word of God. In Psalm chapter one, this this image of the tree comes up and it says, blessed is the man who is like a, a tree planted by streams of water who yields its fruit in season. And it says that his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's God's word. If we want to grow the fruit of obedience, if we want to grow in the fear and knowledge of God, and if we want to live lives of Christ-likeness, if we want to live out our purpose, then we need God's word. We need it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that God's word is that the entire Bible, that it is God-breathed that it is breathed out by God. It is God's word, it is God's truth, and it is useful, it is profitable. It's not some old antiquated book, it's not some dusty old thing on a shelf from 2,000 years ago that doesn't have any relevance for today. It is the word of the Lord of the universe. The very same God who spoke everything into existence with the power of his voice has communicated to you and me in this book. It is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, it is powerful. Brings the words of life. In Psalm 119, 11, the psalmist says, let me hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Guys, if we want to live the lives that we were made to live, lives of fearing and obeying God, then we need to put ourselves in the way of the means of grace, and one of the greatest means of grace that God has given us is his word. We need to be reading and studying and memorizing his word. And here's the thing, I know that so many of you aren't because I was just like you. I grew up in the church. I went to church every Sunday and every Wednesday my entire life. I accepted Christ at a very early age. And I didn't start reading my Bible faithfully. I didn't start spending time in God's word faithfully and regularly until I was like a senior in high school. And I wasted so much time not realizing what this book really is. I knew it, I would say, oh yeah, it's God's word, but no, no, no. Guys, this 
is the very word of the God of the universe communicated to you and to me and every one of you has access to it. Throughout history, even today, people are dying for this book, not because it's some dusty old thing that sits on the shelf, but because it is the living, active word of the God of the universe. And their delight is in the law of the Lord. Their delight is in the word of God. They long for it. They pant for it like a deer pants for the waters. Guys, that's how all of us should be. But for some of us, this has become so familiar that we forget the power and the beauty of it because it's so accessible. Guys, it has never been easier for anyone to read and to understand and to hear and to study the word of God than it is for you right now. Because every one of you has a Bible. And if you don't, don't leave this room until you do. There's a whole bunch right back there. You can take one and you can leave. Don't leave this room without one. But even if you don't have a physical Bible You can download the Bible app for free. And even if you don't want to read it, I understand. I've been spoiled by audiobooks too. The Bible app, you can press play and you don't even have to read. You can hear the words of God spoken to you. Guys, your purpose is to fear God and to obey his commandments. And in order to do that rightly, you need to be spending time in his word. But that's not all. That's not the only means of grace that God has set up. That's not the only way that we are to water the tree of our life so to grow the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of obedience to God. He's also given us this thing that we call prayer. That we can have communion with God through prayer. God doesn't just speak to us through his word. We can speak to him through prayer. We can go before the throne of the king of the universe on the basis of what his son has done for us and we can make everything known to him through prayer. In Philippians chapter four, it tells us to be anxious for nothing just be anxious for nothing. How many of you struggle with, with anxiety? How many of you struggle with, with difficulty? You don't need to raise your hands. You don't need to raise your hands. It might not look the same for all of us. There's clinical anxiety. There's all kinds of things. But, but all of us at some level struggle with anxiety, with fear. But scripture tells us in no uncertain terms that all of us can take that before God in prayer. It says be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. We can take everything before God, and you know the result of it? It says, and the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, we have the word of God, and we can also go before the throne of God in prayer. But that's not all either. Because the third means of grace that God sets up for us, he gives us the word of God, he gives us communion with God, and he also gives us the family of God. The family of God, what we call the church. And he says this, he says, just reading one passage on the church from Hebrews chapter three, says, take care brothers, lest there be any 
Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another. That means to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to, to call one another out. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If we're gonna live a life of obedience, we cannot do it alone. We cannot do it alone. We need each other because we need to exhort and to encourage and to call one another out on our sin. And we need to do it every day. He doesn't say do it every day as long as it is called Sunday. He says do it every day as long as it is called today. You need to surround yourself with the family of God, with the body of Christ with friends who love Jesus, who will point you towards Jesus, and you need that every single day. But when we talk about the church, we talk about God's means of grace and the body of Christ, it's important to also realize that while your, your friends who love Jesus, that is the body of Christ ministering to your life, you also need to be a part of a church. Not just your friends, not just your peers, not just your youth group, because you see the family of God, the body of Christ, is not just a bunch of junior hires. It's junior hires and young families and old people and high schoolers. And it's the whole swath of ages. So you need to have friends in your life who are gonna point you towards Jesus, but you also need to be part of a church. Not just your youth group, but your church. With different generations of people from different backgrounds, from different economic classes, from, from all kinds of different stories, different experiences, different everything, who are coming together united because they trust in the same God and they're filled with the same spirit. You need that in your life if you are going to live out your purpose of fearing God and obeying his commandments. So, what's our purpose? To fear God, to obey his commandments. How do we do that? We immerse ourselves in the means of grace. We make sure that our tree is being watered by the word of God, by going before the throne of God in prayer, and by surrounding ourselves with the people of God in our friendships and our relationships of being in the family of God at a church. I love camp. I love what happens at places like this on weekends or weeks like this. But I grew up going to camp too. I've said it before, I was sitting right where you guys are. Not here in California, but still. Right where you are, the last day of camp, someone was coming up and, and speaking to me and, and we always give some kind of, you're going back home kind of message, right? gonna go back home, and I wanna encourage you to, to keep pursuing God the way you've been pursuing him here. And after the second or third time you hear that, you start to go, yeah, that's what happened last time. 
I came up to camp and I had this, this mountaintop high, this camp experience where, where I was so excited and so on fire for God and so ready to go back into my life and just live entirely for God. And then I went back and after a day or a week or a month, everything was just back to normal. And that happens. It does. But sometimes what that does is it makes us start to think there's something really special about camp. There's something special about that place. There's there's something about, about when I get up there and I just feel God in a way that I don't at home. And you start to think that there's something special or magical about this place. And let me tell you, there is not. There's nothing special about this or magical about it. It's fun. It's great. But the reason that you feel God in a special way up here, the reason that you feel closer to him, the reason that you feel this this fire that's lit in your soul in order to seek after him, to obey him, to fear him, to live out that purpose of your life, the reason that you feel that when you're up here and you're in this space and you're in this moment, it's not because there's anything magical about Hume. It's because since the, t- the moment you got up here on Friday afternoon, you have been immersed in the means of grace. Since the moment you got up here on Friday afternoon, you've spent time with the people of God who are pointing you towards God. You've spent time in the teaching of the word of God as we've been in here in chapel. You've opened up God's word on your own. You've read the Bible. You've gone before God's throne in prayer and in worship. You have been completely immersed in the means of grace. It's not about this place. It's about those things that God has set up that your tree might be watered, that you might grow fruit. And guys, those means of grace, they exist back home the same way they exist here. You just have to be diligent to seek them out. You can read your Bible at home just like you read it here. You just have to turn off your iPad to do it. You have to turn off the gaming console to do it. You have to turn off your phone to do it. You can spend time with God's people at home, just like you did here. You can worship him at home, just like you did here. And if you do, if you will, then what you'll see is that your fear of God will grow. Your obedience to God will increase. And that's what gives life under the sun meaning and purpose. Walking through life committed to living life in the service of the glory of the God who made us by and through and to himself. Growing in the knowledge and fear of him and walking in ever increasing obedience to his commands by the power of his spirit as we immerse ourselves in the means of grace that he has set up for us. The average life expectancy in the United States is 77 years. Seventy-seven years on this earth. And for many of us, it'll be shorter. Maybe much, much shorter. You don't know how long you have under the sun. You don't know how long you have on this earth. 
You don't know where this life will take you. You don't know what you're gonna do when you grow up. You don't know where you're gonna live. You don't know who you're gonna marry or if you're gonna marry. You don't know if you'll have kids. You don't know any of that. But what you can know is your purpose. Regardless of where you live, regardless of what you do, regardless of where you go, your purpose is this. It is to fear God and to keep his commandments because if you do that, then no matter what, all of those other details work out as. No matter what your life ends up looking like, if you fear God and you keep his commandments, then you can be sure that your life, your brief time on this earth will be one of eternal significance. That your life under the sun will be more than just vanity. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. We thank you for the clear purpose that you give us in Ecclesiastes to fear you and to obey your commandments. God, we thank you that you don't just leave us out here to to try to do that alone because we would fail. But God, you give us your spirit. Those of us who, who know you, who have trusted in you, have been filled with your spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us grows us in in, in the fear of you and the obedience to you. And God, you give us the means of grace. All of these things to to water the tree of our life that we might grow the fruit of obedience. So God, I pray for the students in here. I pray that they would commit themselves to diligently indulging in those means of grace, to, to constantly being in your word, surrounded by your people, going before your throne in prayer, that they might become more and more like you, that they might live out their purpose of fearing you and keeping your commandments. God, we thank you for this weekend. We thank you for what you've done in this place this week. And we pray that by your mercy and grace, that work continues as these students go back home. They continue to grow in the fear of you and then obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.